Hello and welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. My name is Johannes Miesger. I work at the University of the Faroe Islands. I am an assistant professor in the area of pedagogical leadership. Today we are going to listen to an interview with Trish Hafford Letchfield. Yes, so I'm sitting here with Dr. Trish Hafford Letchfield, and she is a professor at Middlesex University. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And maybe you can first start us off by telling us about your professional background. Okay, so uh, I started my life as a nurse. And then I went on to study social science and combined with a um, social work qualification. That was in 1985 and, uh, and then my master's was in social policy. Mm. Um, so I've had a very long career mm. in social work and still extremely passionate about it. Uh, so I qualified in 1985 and um, I've virtually worked in every area of social work. But the last 10 years of my practice career, I was a uh, middle manager mm. of adult social care. Ah. So um, I had an interest in mostly disability, older people and asylum seekers and refugees. Mm. Has a little period of time leading um, supported housing for older people and then um, some time doing organisational development and that's how I ended up going into higher education in 2003. Mm, So since then I've um, been mostly involved in social work education um, but more latterly I've been running a leadership programme um, interprofessional okay. uh, with uh, nurses, midwives, ah. physios, social workers, people working in the public sector okay. and, um, and more recently I've been promoted as a professor so mm. I tend to do more research yeah, yeah. Um, and my special area in research is um, working with older people in marginalised populations. Mm. Yeah. So, so this program on leadership, is it like a degree or is it a course or...? So it's um, a postgraduate or advanced diploma, ah, okay. which means that um, you can either do it as a standalone program, it's called Leadership of the Public Community Services, yeah. so you can do it as a standalone program or the, the modules you can select as an option mm. um, if you're doing midwifery, social work, CPD, oh, yeah. um, nursing, mental health nursing. Mm. Um, so that means that you get a real mix of students mm. and it's not necessarily linked to management roles. Oh, it's okay. really, it gives the opportunity for students who in their professional development or CPD, their qualifying course, get an opportunity to explore their potential for leadership because that's embedded in our English um, social work curriculum and the other curriculum. And and, and this is at the University of Middlesex? Yes. Okay. 
Okay, and then I'm going to ask you about what is your currently main research interest in the area of leadership. Okay, so um, I'm interested in the more democratic elements of leadership. So I'm really interested within education and within organisational development. How does uh, how how does the culture of the organisation support people to take up leadership roles? Well? Oh, okay. And um, because I think there's a lot of rhetoric around leadership in England, we've had a lot of uh, public inquiries. Um, we've had a lot of blame mm. around the inadequacy of social work, you know, in various situations and in the health service. And uh, these always uh, come up with recommendations about what we need is good leaders. Okay. Um, and when you look at theories of leadership, yeah. they are very descriptive. But what I'm interested in is how do people really learn, you know, can they learn to be leaders and what are the particular factors in a service or organisation that facilitate people to take up a leadership role. Mm. So uh, what that's led me to do is to be very experiential and, um, and emphasising the use of experience within my uh, uh, role in leadership education. Mm. So uh, uh, a number of things that I've done uh, within my learning and teaching environment as well as my research environment is to think about whose voices are uh, being uh, listened to in leadership education. So um, uh, one of the so there's two, there's, well, I suppose, there, yeah, there's two things that I've done. One is to think about what role do service users play um, in leadership mm. education. So I've done a number of projects where I've gone into organisations yeah. and looked and used arts based pedagogies so for example one was where I took comedians into a day centre with people okay. with dementia oh. and through a series of interactive workshops which were focused on uh, the idea that the Queen was going to come to the day centre oh. because everyone can relate to the Queen yeah, 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 yeah. if you've got dementia and long term memory that's one thing that you can good or bad whatever yeah. you think of the Queen you can you've got stories to tell um, and also um, it's also uh, because we have such a diverse community in London it kind of it teases out some of those other power relationships about you know people who came from the colonies etc so that was quite interesting but what we did was um, we uh, based the scenario that the Queen was going to visit and we did preparation um, and uh, we enabled service users to take up the leadership within that and then we made a podcast, a couple of uh, videos, um, what we call a mockumentary using oh. the comic elements in which service users acted as a mirror oh. to staff. Okay. Um, so the way in which they enacted 
the scenario of the Queen visiting the day centre and all the bureaucracy and all the issues around. Mm. Um, like we never had any money to give her a decent meal, and they enacted all these things, and it was like holding a mirror up to the organisation, and also that the staff played, diff- uh, the service users played roles of managers, and managers played roles of, of staff or service users, and. Um, kind of create more of a level playing field and uh, we use humour oh. to sort of look at each other and how we see each other within the organisation. Okay. So that was then a resource I've used in quite a number of forums now to um, get discussion going uh, about those things that came out, yeah. about expressions of power, oh. you know. But So I remember one um, older woman, I said to her, now don't, you know why we're here today? She said, oh yeah, is it something to do with the Queen? Oh. And I said, yes, um, but um, it's not real, you know, we're just pretending. She said, I know, and I'm so glad because if it was real I wouldn't have got chosen to oh. leave the Queen so that was kind of I read that as an expression of you know feeling valued yeah, yeah. Uh, within the organisation oh. so um, and within uh, my own within the classroom so I start off my students by uh, putting them into small groups from day one which is always a bit of a shock to them and saying right elect a leader oh. and um, it's very interesting interesting to see the students are more democratic to think about who might want the opportunity to be a leader or who might want to try that out or who they want to support or mm. who's got the potential versus the students always look straight to the group about the roles that people play and they let the most senior person mm. in the group. So I put them into small groups then I give them three uh, case studies from literature. So oh, I yeah. give them one from uh, uh, which is a case study of an African village mm. um, impacted by Christianity and uh, fighting in Nigeria. Okay. And, um, and I give them uh, a Death of a Salesman, you know, the film with uh, Robert De Niro, where oh, yeah. somebody's a high-pressure job, very autocratic, but, you know, very driven. And then uh, Death of a Salesman, which is about the vision of an idealised life that Willie Lomax desires. So we give them a piece of literature and um, we say to them, right, we can set some moral and ethical dilemmas to look for in the case study. Mm. And then um, the module itself teaches things like systems theory, curiosity, positioning, how people position themselves, um, how they take up, you know, moral and ethical challenges. Then, um, and in between, they work in these groups uh, parallel to the uh, teaching, to have a bit of space, you know, within the curriculum. And at the end, they do a presentation on uh, the leadership styles, the narratives, the challenges, the issues that uh, came out of the literature case study. And I think this enables students to engage with difficult issues that they might not be able to hmm. talk about um, and then the, um, the mode of uh, learning is also experiential and you know they really are generally bond they do have big fallouts and all kinds yeah, of things yeah, yeah, yeah. but they also have to assess their we give them a framework called perform Blanchard's perform framework where they have to assess 
the leadership and followership that mm. happened during the, the process mm. of putting together the presentation. Mm. So, yeah, and it makes it so much fun. Yeah, so yeah, much yeah, yeah. fun, uh, real deeper learning. Yeah. Um, and students, uh, they dress up and all kinds of things, you know, mm. when they do their presentation. And um, I have evaluated it and, uh, and uh, written about it. But it, and I've continued to add different um, case studies like looking at women in leadership mm. um, and uh, it's been very uh, very successful I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what is the role of the leader in this kind of group in the well, in, in the, the learning group then, well first of all I think a lot of staff or people learning in health and social care don't really have the opportunity to take up the leadership role. Mm. So, so this, this gives them an opportunity. It gives them a safe space exactly. uh, in which to experience the leadership role um, and also to uh, it gives them the opportunity to reflect and consult their followers and uh, the followers uh, give feedback to the leader about how well they, you know, were led. Okay. Um, and then the other thing is that um, it, it kind of, they, it, it, the case studies, they really are real dilemmas. Mm. They really, you know, one of the um, case studies we introduced recently was the one on the Egyptian revolution, on the uh, Egyptian spring, the, okay. the film called The Square, yeah. in which uh, they were able, through that, to see how service, like, service users can take up leadership. So what you saw in that film is that in really, really difficult circumstances, people had to really, you know... Uh, put a lot on of their own uh, moral stance or their their lives on the line to take a stance for for democracy hmm. and i think this is you know a good way of thinking about uh, service users and how what opportunities that we give them to to really um, engage in services yeah oh. uh. You, you talked earlier about that you were kind of um, wondering on this question if people can learn to be leaders. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people can learn to be leaders? Yeah, I mean, I think every everybody has got potential to be a leader, but yeah. it's really about the conditions that oh. are created. So, um, I mean, some of the, th um, the theories that we teach in our leadership module are um, they're very systemic so we, we talk about things like having courageous conversations and we might just take a very simple issue that commonly comes up and really gets everybody down in work which is about sickness absence mm. and um, what we get people to do just as an example is we get people to talk about the issue, you know, where somebody's absent, but to be curious about that. Hmm. So instead of saying, you know, when the person comes back to work, you need to do A, B, and C, you might, why, um, because this myth that people, you know, are swinging the lead or, you know, escaping from the stresses of work, 
Um, so they might be, cu- you know, curious. What can they do to encourage someone to be at work? So it's more like an appreciative inquiry. Oh, okay. What What do you find, you know, interesting about your job? What do you enjoy about your job? Yeah. And having conversations like that rather than, you know, things that you haven't done. Mm. So, um, trying to uh, think of people as an asset rather mm. than some people that need to be managed. Yeah. Um, and that's quite a difficult paradigm for people mm. to um, who in very institutionalized organizations to really grasp yeah. and to make and so in terms of the question can you learn I think practicing thinking in a different way or asking different questions mm. when you're working, you know, every day with uh, your colleagues or, you know, service users, patients, learning different ways of asking questions or doing assessments with a different frame of reference is something I believe can be learned and then reflected upon and then also what's important is what difference does it make mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you have also talked about democratic leadership can you elaborate a little bit on this so um, I think it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about uh, the rhetoric of leadership and I believe people have caught there's a term for it called leaderism mm. yeah I've heard people talk about, and um, and sometimes when things go wrong, there's a dishonesty there in really thinking, well, what really was contributing to that situation, um, and are we really going to be brave enough to explore some of those mm. difficult situations? So, for example. Uh, we had a really serious uh, failure in uh, social work uh, in 2003, a big, big, massive, expensive inquiry, um, which was all about who saw, uh, it was a child uh, died in the most horrific circumstances, and there was the people were sacked, social workers were sacked and the director of social services was sacked, etc. And the government got all involved and then they flexed their muscles and said, what we need is a whole reform to social work education. Mm. But actually, what was dishonest, in my view, about that inquiry and about the debates that followed was that no one really talked about how scary it is to uh, be working uh, out in the field with really difficult situations um, and the um, emotional impact of working with families in the most extreme poverty who've had very poor opportunities themselves, uh, are very angry, very disenfranchised. And no one talked about um, when social workers never followed through things or felt unable to pick up a child, handle it and examine it for fear of being criticised. Mm. I already talked about what is it like to do that work and how can stu- uh, staff be better, how can they talk about that impact of the work, the frustration of not having sufficient resources or in that um, 
situation, that, that case example, there was a lot of debate about the role of the manager and the supervisor. And it was the first time in which we really did talk about the wider accountability uh, for why services fail. But again, there was insufficient dialogue, in my view, about um, social workers having space to really talk about the impact of the work on them and giving them you know, support because they're seen as failures to be affected by the work mm. or not resilient. People use this term, you need to be more resilient. Yeah. I mean, it's empty, it's an empty rhetoric. It, uh, what does it mean to be resilient? You know, resilience got many different um, uh, elements to it. So that's, that's just one example of democratic mm. leadership about people really having being honest in supervision, for example, because it's another area which I've examined uh, recordings of, of how decisions are made in supervision. And people tend to skate over things without any proper in-depth um, discussion. And when I've talked to supervisees, they've said that they wouldn't, uh, they'll be fearful of disclosing some of their fears, their own real fears, hmm. or for fear of being seen as weak. And managers equally not feeling able to cope because they've got so much. You know, so much responsibility, you know, they've got this throughput of work and feeling really afraid to, you know, try and uh, solve something or talk through those issues, even acknowledging them mm. um, for fear of being seen as weak or not able to cope. Yeah. And not not always knowing the answers because the answers are not easy. Mm. There's not enough resources. It's not enough, you know, the, the answers aren't easy and people are frightened to, to talk about those issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when you go into these nursing homes and do this with, uh, for example, the Queen's mm. Wizard, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's both with the users, the managers and the social workers and the staff. The staff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at the moment, my current project is... Um, there's a lot of literature and evidence about the experience of older people, LGBT people, oh. and their fear of using social care services because okay. the cohort of people currently accessing services has been, uh, you know, that if you look at their history, oh. and you know, it's been a mixed picture. One is it's been a criminalised you know, seen as mental disorder, all this coming out and, um, you know, being labelled and loss of their family relationships and the shame of being from the LGBT community, alongside a huge amount of resilience in their ageing because they've been through so much, mm. they've experienced so much discrimination um, and they've got a really strong community in some uh, areas. So it's a very mixed picture. And um, the older people, you know, are very fearful about going to care homes or having people coming in to their own homes. And um, so, you know, I would say that um, the leadership needs to come from the LGBT community themselves hmm. in working with staff running, you know, services and how can that dialogue happen? 
and um, you know, a lot of the evidence shows that if care staff meet have more contact with LGBT people, then they're more likely to you know understand or be more empathic. So one of the things I've done is to uh, recruit community advisors from the LGBT older community and train them to go into a particular provider I'm working with, a large provider of care homes. Uh, the community advisor has been invited in and they're having a series of meetings with managers, staff, carers, groups, service users mm. and individuals to talk about what does it mean to be using an, you know, a residential nursing care service and just giving advice. So yeah. assessing, looking at you know, things like the environment, what sort of activities are done, who's the volunteers, where they're recruited from, which organisations are they linking to, mm. um, what's going down in their training, what, how does LGBT issues uh, come up in supervision, how are people encouraged or supported to come out if they want, how is the, you know, just the general thrust of how they talk about every day, inclusive of recognising that different families, families of choice, communities of choice. Hmm. Um, so again, that's again, the courageous conversations, yeah. the uh, democratic way hmm. of, because you could go in and do an audit, but it's, uh, it's like a developmental process. Yeah. So encouraging the managers then to take up the leadership of the issue mm. and uh, the outcome will be for the community advisors to set a challenge to the managers. There's one or two things that you could do to you know, promote this agenda. What is it you can do? Okay. Hmm. Have you written anything about? No, this is a. This is ongoing. This is a project um, ongoing. Yeah. It's very exciting, actually. Yeah. And I am really enjoying it. Yeah. And uh, and it's not without its difficulties. Um, uh, and it's supported by Comic Relief. Oh, okay. Care Home Challenge. It's called yeah. the Care Home Challenge, and it was a, uh, something that they funded. They funded ten projects that could actually improve the direct experience of older people living in care homes yeah. because it can be pretty dire. Uh, we know, you know, yeah. it was very patchy oh. uh, experiences. Yeah. Have you written anything about? Um this thing you're doing in, in, the, in the course where you are kind of hanging these groups and oh, there's yes, a leader? Yes. yes, yes, I've written that up. Okay. I can let you have a link to that. With an article? Yeah, okay. I'll let you have the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one with the, I've also written the one uh, written up on the Queen's Visit. Ah, yeah, okay. I've written that up, which okay. is uh, was lovely. Yeah, the show yeah, 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 yeah. At the end. And uh, we invited all the community, like the uh, council, local council and commissioners, to come and watch the mockumentary, mm. like a film. We had credits. Yeah. And when we showed the film, older people who we didn't know what their capabilities were, mm. they were recognising, reading from the, you know, reading the scripts out, reading the credits out. Um, 
I think one of the things for me that came out was that actually there's a lot more potential of the older people living, you know, using the care centre than what the staff expected and that they found out things about the service users that they would never have found out otherwise. Yeah, okay. Um, given your research and theoretical knowledge, which top three advices would you give to managers in social work settings? Um, my first top tip would be to just stay cool and listen. Okay. And I think being able to uh, t stand on the back foot and to be open and listen is a very basic but completely underrated skill mm. and I think that's because of what we expect we always expect to be doing sometimes we don't have to do sometimes we just have to let other people people will step forward and do it um, service users and patients they you know there's a lot of undiscovered potential that they can contribute. Yesterday I was in conversation with NHS, our National Health Service staff, about um, using disability as an asset. And there were some service users there and they were talking about service users with uh, quite severe mental health problems in their history, oh. a lot of crises, and they were telling me about uh, how some staff just creating a different environment some staff who had their own issues within their families or their own issues around mental health which is always seen as shameful um, but they were have start starting they were consulting service users you know and, and making alliances with them sharing experience and I think that's very frowned upon within, you know, all this stuff about professional boundaries. And I, I agree that you need professional boundaries and that you need to use your expertise carefully. Mm. You need to guide people and uh, you need also to um, make sure that, uh, you know, you're, very, you're professional but that doesn't stop you being human. Mm. I think time after time, it's all you hear from service users, patients and staff is a lack of humanness mm. in their manager or leader. Okay. And so for me, find anything that allows, that facilitates that humanness in order, because everybody, I believe, wants to do a good job. They want to do a good job. Mm. They want to have a good experience. They want their patients or service users to have a good experience. So, but somewhere that gets lost within the other demands or information or whatever we have to provide, which, you know, we do need to provide those, but it doesn't mean that we have to lose our humanness. Mm. So for me, a good leader is someone who is prepared to take risks, uh, to listen, and uh, yeah, pair it back to basics, and mm. then the rest will follow. Okay. Have the confidence. Yeah. Like going into a day centre with a comedy team, you can imagine what people thought about that. Mm. You know, but they were prepared 
we were prepared to work through it and you know the families and that they absolutely loved it mm. it had to, you know it's the working it through together um, it, you know you've got to have faith in people that they have got potential they really if you give them the opportunity they will you know always learn something new and mm. I think that's really important yeah okay so at the end, where can people go to find more information about your research? Okay, so um, if you go to my profile, there's um, a description about things I love doing, my mm. things that um, I've been involved in, and uh, access to my repository. If they want to contact me yeah. um, direct on uh, Middlesex University, okay. I'd be more than happy to share anything oh. that I can. Yeah. So, Dr. Trish Hafford Letchfield, thank you very much for being a guest in my podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.